How are you this morning? All right, I'm kind of echoey there. Seems like I should start belting out a song of some sort because of that reverb. Uh, turn to your neighbor and tell them how glad you are that they are here. And uh, give them a hug if you can. Pat them on the knee if you don't want a hug. If you're a non-touch person, you know, just kind of like, hey, glad you're here. I always forget that there's people out there that are non-touchy. Can you believe that? Maybe give them a compliment. Can you think of anything to give them a compliment about? I got to clean my glasses, so give them a compliment, okay? I am so blessed here today because, um, and I don't, oh man, these glasses are terrible. Can somebody help me? I don't know what I did with those. It's worse looking through those than without them. I, uh, I'm very blessed today because my very own mother is here. She drove herself down here. She is a wild lady, crazy lady. And, uh, and also my son and daughter-in-law. And what, are we related, Teresa? How are we related? My sister, my fellow, what would it be? Mother, my, my son's mother-in-law's person. I don't know. How is it? You guys, help. we have to think up a new way because you know what? Her and I are my best new relative. Yes. Oh man, I just love it. Love it. I'm trying to get my glasses on. Okay. How are y'all doing today? Oh, that's so much better. One of these days, you know, there's a, there's a reason why God made our eyeballs so good at the beginning, right? Because they're just wonderful. You can see through them and everything's good. And then as the time goes by, ah, okay, well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans. We're having a lot of fun in the book of Romans. We've got one more sermon after this. So one more week in the series. Uh, so, and uh, I left off yesterday on Romans four, there's 16 chapters. So I have today and next Sunday to do 12 chapters in Romans. <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody say, bless her, Lord. Help her, Lord. So my goal here on Sunday mornings is just to give us some very overarching, uh, broad uh, understanding of Romans and, and that kind of thing. And, and so I'm trying to give you very, um, very broad brush understanding that is very, very understandable. And very useful. And then on Wednesday nights, we're doing our Romans Bible study. However, this Wednesday night, I am not going to do my Romans Bible study because I'm going to be home getting a turkey ready because Thursday is the next day. So don't come this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday after that, after Thanksgiving. So uh, just make sure everybody knows that. Um, so, and on Wednesday nights, then we do a little bit more in depth and, you know, kind of go through line by line, precept upon precept. So if you're interested in that, don't come this Wednesday. Come next Wednesday, and uh, we will have some fun. Amen? Amen? All right. So a couple of weeks ago, I told you a story, and uh, it was kind of a, a word picture, and I want you to take that word picture, because this word picture is going to go with us again through today. But I gave you the word picture that, um, you know, uh, 20, no, 30-some-odd years ago, I met a wonderful man, and I fell in love with him, and I married him. Best decision of my life. And uh, he is awesome, and he's a can-do, and I just, I can't say we never have, you know, fought. But it's been pretty good these years. And, uh, well, we didn't really fight. We just disagreed. <laughs> we never punched each other, let's just put it that way. Because that's what you think about fight, you know, the smackdown. Um, but, uh, yeah, not here. So we got married, though, and we, we built a house. We built a couple houses, actually. We built the house that we're in, and we had a lot of fun building our house, and we had a lot of fun kind of making it just right. And uh, when we built our house, uh, I built a bunch of rooms. We, he, <laughs> built a bunch of rooms. I did. Oh, I, I decorated the rooms, right? And uh, so we built a bunch of rooms. They were empty, and we were so, you know, the house was kind of quiet, and actually we only had one or two at that point. Uh, depending on which house we were talking about. But anyway, the anyway, right? You get the picture. So all of a sudden, you know, we got the house ready. So and it's all perfect and beautiful, and the fridge is stocked, and the pantry is ready to go. So we decide to start popping out babies, you know, because what's what fun is a big house and a full refrigerator and all sorts of fun things here and there without kids, right? So we po started popping out babies. We popped out four babies. Yes. Hallelujah! One, two, three. 
four. He was, he, he, he was a little farther back. So uh, but we started popping out babies, and we were so excited about those babies. Those babies came in, and we gave them everything in our home. And our home was so open. It was perfect for them. And we loved them. And, and they were just our so They were our object of affection. They were just so dear to us. And as they grew, we wanted our home to continue to be a wonderful place to be and a wonderful home, a wonderful atmosphere. So as they grew, we had to kind of train them. Anybody had to train them? Okay, so that's what I did, and that's what we did. And, and we worked really hard to train them in the ways that I go. And they hopefully have not departed from them. But um, So they're supposed to you know, follow after me. I decide. I declared the culture of our home. I declared what was, well, you know, both. I is him and me. Uh, declared the, but I am the mother. <laughs> declared the culture of our home and we made our home to be what we were and the things that I wanted to have to happen in my home were things that were going to make my children better in their world better in the home better between them better with me they had to wash their hands when they came home from school I already told you that you know, I didn't want germs coming in. I wanted them to hang up their coat hang up their backpack because I needed them to keep everything clean so I didn't trip over everything and it made life better for me because if I'm happy you're happy right yeah okay so <laughs> So, and they had to, you know, wash their hands. They had to take their shoes off. They had to do all sorts of things. And then they could run in and we had snacks for them. And we would have fun and we would talk and, and then get them out their homework or run here or run there. So that's how life went. So not only was this, this love relationship between my, me and my children, I also had a culture in my home that they had to conform to. And it was a good culture for heaven's sake. I wasn't asking anything terrible of them, right? It was all to make their lives better, to make my life better, to make all of us better so that we could function together better. Everybody say better. better. Okay. So it's the same way with God. God did the same thing. He created this incredible world. He put trees and animals and fruits and vegetables in this world, and he stocked the world so perfectly for us. But it wasn't near as fun for, for him to just have this wonderful place without some children to love. And so he created all of you, and he created me. He created Adam and Eve first, and he put them in the garden. It was so much fun. And they, they related together, and they were wonderful, and there were some things about God, the way he liked to live the world, like he wanted things to run. And so he imparted that to Adam and Eve and he wrote it on their hearts uh, and and showed them his way and there were certain things in the garden that he wanted to have happen because it was the best and it was the it was the just the best and there was one thing they couldn't do though they couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil remember that yeah. just one all the rest they had just it worked it was beautiful absolutely beautiful their hearts God and man's hearts were completely unified and their actions and their, and their way they lived out their life, it was completely in line with how God loved it. And they were doing fantastic. And then in, in Genesis chapter 2, the, the, the uh, devil came in the form of a serpent and whispered in their ear. And they began to, he began to sow seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And I want to make sure that you all know the difference between doubt and disbelief. Huge difference. And, you know, I want to really make some clarity here. Because doubt... I don't think, in, in, in my world, doubt is not a bad thing. Disbelief is. And doubt is something that, you know, sometimes you, you hear things and you're like, mm, like that. So that's going to push you towards two things. It's going to push you to either finding out more about it and becoming more firm. Yes. Or it's going to drive you towards disbelief. Now, with Adam and Eve, Satan came and sowed doubt. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? Did he, you know, is God really... Man, and instead of saying, no, no, yes, God is. I believe God. They turned their heart towards disbelief. So their heart began to separate from God first, and then they reached out physically and disobeyed and took that apple or that fruit or whatever it was. You know, they say it's an apple, just as fruit. So at that point, what was so unified and so awesome fell. Man fell. Hearts disconnected. The relationship was broken. God is holy. Man is now unholy because there's sin in their life. God is righteous or right. And now man is so unright 
or unrighteous. There's this chasm now between. But when we fall, we also fall. And when we fell, we still had God's heart. You know, the, the rules and customs of God were still wrought, written on our hearts. We know even down in our distant relationship for, from God, we know that lying is always wrong. We know that killing somebody's always wrong. We know that, you know, some of these things that are part of God's culture and his way and his heart and his law inside are so etched deeply in our heart that we know that even though we are so far from him. Open up your Bibles to Romans now. I'm going to finally get to Romans. But I feel like we all need to be in this place before we can move on. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin in the same way, uh, in the the same way, death came to all men because all have sinned. So now not just Adam has sinned, but now God's saying you sin too. You have a fallen nature now. Your nature is fallen. It's broken. That's how humanity is right now. Every single one of us. So now internally, we're very distant from God. And externally, we have this sin nature sown into us. We try so hard to be God and so hard to be good. And we try so hard and we work and we work and we work. We try to be good enough for God. We try because our hearts yearn to know who God is. Every human being does. And God's heart is calling out to us constantly. Romans 5, 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of justification was of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. Jesus Christ, we were so separated. Jesus Christ left the Godhead, three in one. God came down and lived with us in our broken, fallen nature. And there was a little different thing about him. He never sinned. He never disobeyed. From the time that Adam reached out and took that fruit, disobedience has been so strong in us. How many times would you rather disobey when you are told to do something and something inside of you goes, ah, Anybody? Come on, come on, come on. Anybody? If they, if they say don't, you want to. You want to do. If they say do, you say I don't want to do. If they say go, you know. If they say stay, I'm going to go. That's how I am on the inside. That's my, that's, that's, do you understand? Disobedience was sown into my nature. It is, a, it is inside of me. Romans 5, 6, but you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to just take a pause right there. Jesus Christ came down and lived perfectly. He never disobeyed, never once. He lived that perfect life. And that same Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Now remember, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. He never sinned. He had no wages of sin to pay. That's what's so amazing. He had no wages of sin to pay because he had never sinned. He was completely perfect. We, on the other hand, sin immensely all the time. I don't know. I was trying to think of the right word, but I don't want to make you feel too bad. But hey. But Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely, verse 7 of chapter 5, and I know I'm going, I'm kind of all over the place and the projection people give them a hand. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The first overarching concept that we've been learning about is how much God loves us. You, you are the object of his affection. 
you, you, not the person sitting next to you necessarily, but you, 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 you. And when we can get it in our mind that God loves us to the extent of which he loves us. And, and when we can understand what God's love is like, because it's not like ours. See, we think about God's love and we filter it through our, my own brain and how I love. And I don't love very good. You know, you mess up. I'm like, oh, man. I fall in love. I fall out of love. God never does. He's unfailing. He's perfect. His love is amazing. His love blows your love to smithereens. His love is so beyond. His love is so beyond. See, I don't know that I would die for a sinner. I don't know that I would. But while we were sinners, Christ died. His love, his love, his love. So how, so, so Jesus Christ, he comes, he dies. He, he's a perfect, he lives completely obediently. He dies and he goes to heaven. And the word says that his righteousness can now become my righteousness. That that act of coming down to earth, dying, living a perfect life, dying on a tree, not needing to, taking on the sins of the world on, on top of him. And then he dies and he rises again because death has no hold on him. And he goes up to heaven. And the Bible says very clearly that he did that for us. Because, and so, that if we would believe in him, just believe, if we would have faith, that he would take us into himself and then take us into heaven, into glory, so that we could be in Christ. Have you ever heard of the word in Christ? How do you get in Christ? You get in Christ by believing in him, by faith. The word is faith, and Romans talks constantly about faith. So what is faith? Faith is God says it, I believe it. God says it, I believe it. So what does God say about all this? Turn over to Romans 10. See, I just took you from 5 to 10. How's that? Romans 5. Oh, sorry, Romans 10. Yeah, I, apparently last week I took you to Exodus when I was supposed to go to Genesis too. I'm very sorry. Keep me straight, okay? <laughs> Romans 10. I'm going to start at verse 8. But what does it say? The, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all it takes. That's it. That's all. You mean I don't have to get all better? I don't have to run around? I don't have to walk on eggshells? I don't have to walk on hot coals? I don't have to live right for 72 days? Perfect. No, the only thing I have to do is confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart. That God raised him from the dead. Do you believe? Do you believe? That Jesus Christ walked on this earth, died, rose from the dead? If you'll believe that, if you'll just believe it. God says it, do you believe it? God said it, do you believe it? If you will believe it, then you are cleansed from all your unrighteousness and brought in to the righteousness of Christ. You are brought into his perfection. If you'll believe. So, faith, we heard in chapter 4, equals righteousness. Faith. Just believe him. How can that be? Just believing him washes everything out of me that's so awful. The, the guilt and the... Just be, no, 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 no. I can't be. Give me a list. Give me the list of all the things that I need to do. Because if you'll give me the list, then I can do them and mark them off. And I can know I'm good. I said, mm -mm, I'm not going to have any of that. None of that. None of your works, none of your things, none of your lists. No, 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 no. All I want you to do is believe in me. To believe what I've done, believe what I've said. No, that's so hard. No, it's not. It's the easiest thing in the whole wide world. You don't have to do anything. The Bible says very clearly in Romans that your works don't get you anything. Your list doesn't get you anything. You have to believe and confess with your mouth, and you're there. You can't get any better than that. God credits to your account 
Righteousness. Righteous. Bam. Right. Is that weird or what? It's so contrary to my, my human flesh. But that's why God does it. He doesn't want your flesh in the middle of it. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. He wants you. The first step, this whole thing, he wants first and foremost. He is not so concerned with your external belief and doing and acting. He wants your heart. He wants your heart so close to him. And that your heart is the issue in this whole thing. Believe in him. In your heart. Then he can take this chasm, this gulf between him and you. And he can bring you right in. And now you are seated with him in heavenly places. Because your heart has been joined to him. What happens? Let's go back to Romans 5. 5 verse once. 1. Verse once. You like that? Verse 1. Therefore. And what he's saying here is, therefore, everything I just told you. Okay? I just gave you Romans 1 through 4 in a nutshell. Therefore, verse 1 says, since you have been justified. That big word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. How many of you right now have a little backward player in the back of your head going, well, you did this and this and this and this. How many got that right now? Or, you know, well, you, you know. (laughs) What are you talking about? I saw you yesterday. I saw you. I saw, I heard that. Keep putting it under the blood of Jesus. Keep stomping that thing out. Because you are justified through faith. Verse 1, therefore, since you have, we, we, you, me, all of us, have been justified through faith, faith, faith. No, 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 no. I want to do something because it feels better. And he's shouting at you. There's nothing you can do to feel better. Just believe me. Shut up. <laughs> shh. But I want to, I got to do that. No, shh. Through faith, that's it. Since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Jesus Christ. A lot of Romans, the beginning chapters, talk about the wrath of God. God has incredible wrath against sin. Anything that will harm his children, he's going to be wrathful. Just like I am wrathful at anything that harms my children. Or any choices my children have that harm them. If they did not take off their shoes when they walked through the door, I can't say it was wrath. But you'll hear it from the kitchen. Did you take your shoes off? Shoes off, shoes off. Was that what it sounded like? Oh boy, that came from over there, the peanut gallery. But now this wrath from God has been silenced because now I've been made righteous. I have distanced myself so far from sin through the blood of Jesus that I'm going to be way over here when God's wrath falls on that sin. I'm going to be hidden in Christ. I am going to be saved. That's what it means. And also the peace that's in my heart because I no longer carry shame. You carry shame, friend. If you carry shame, get rid of it. Faith, give it to him. So I've been justified through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by what? By all the hard things I've done, right? All the wonderful things I've done. How wonderful I am. Huh? What's it say? I've gained access By faith. What does faith mean? God says it. I believe it. God says it. I don't doubt it. I believe it. That's how I've gained access. Not by anything I've done. Not by the 59,000 wonderful good deeds I've done. It's through faith. I've gained access through faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
And I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Rejoice means two things. It means to open your mouth and start talking. Serious. That's truly what it means. It means rejoice means open your mouth and start talking. I can't believe it. This is so cool. I am. I love you, God. I can't believe it. Are you kidding me? I don't have to do it. This is the best deal on Groupon right here, you know, that I don't have to. What? And I begin to rejoice. Rejoice in the hope. Are you kidding me that I get to go to heaven? Are you kidding me? Heaven is in my future. Perfection is in my future. The, me- the God who created this. Did you see the sunrise this morning? Did you see, if you were up with me coming in for worship practice at Odark 30, I saw the most incredible sunrise over Mount Rainier, the clouds. And I'm looking at that and that just shows a little titch of the glory of God. And I get that. I get that. I, I, I get to live the rest of my life in it. I can see little glimpses now, but the hope of the glory of God is inside of me. And I rejoice in his goodness. Rejoice means to open your mouth and start talking. And then it also means to be happy, excited about it. Bah! Look at this right here. This is rejoice. And he's call, calling you to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so. Did you see verse 3 there? Not only so. In, in other words, there's more. It's amazing. There's more than even that. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Wow. Let's all say that together. Not, is it up there? Not only so. Whoop. Glory in our suffering. I love it. So there was, okay, so mine says rejoice, but theirs says glory. Same word, but you know. Okay, so God, uh, Paul now takes a shift. We have just, for four chapters, learned about how to deal with our internal place and being through faith that our hearts are now set where they're supposed to be and at this point in this juncture paul takes a turn and for the rest of romans now it's going to be shifted so once you get your internal heart set and connected with god and walking in faith. Now he's going to take a shift. Because here's the problem. We, are, we have our internal heart, but we also have this, this thing here that lives in this place here that's pretty practical and pretty hard, you know. What's the word? Concrete. I was going to say hard. Thank you, Kathleen. You're always my helper with words. So he shifts now. So our hearts are seated with God in Christ, but we're still tethered. I want you to think of yourself as here's, here we are in heavenly places, seated with Christ. It says that in First Peter something. No, Ephesians 2, 6 through 10. Just, you can read it if you don't believe me. You're up there. Uh-huh. But you're tethered to this body still. We are still here. And he shifts here and he says, now that you're so excited, I also want you to rejoice in the ho- uh, not only so, but we also want you to rejoice in your sufferings. But he's, he's shifting now because this thing here in this broken world is still in a sphere of great suffering. Problems, because this world is broken. This world is cursed still. The curse has not been lifted off of this world yet. Our hearts are back home. That's the hallmark of Christianity and of Christians walking around. It's our legacy that we have peace with God. No other religion gives you peace with God. Every other religion tells you, you need to keep working because I'm not really sure. Every other religion says, you need to just, you know, you better be good enough because you never know. And we don't know till we're done. Christianity says, no. Believe in your heart. Have faith in me. And it's done. We're there. 
Now faith equals righteousness. And our hearts are so connected with God and we live here in this world. And it just seems awkward. It seems a little odd. It seems a little, you know, if God was really love, he would take us to heaven. If God was really love, he would fix everything around here. If God was really this, he was really that. Why do I have to rejoice in my sufferings? He's got us in this odd, awkward situation. But I'm here to tell you that God has actually gotten you now in just the place he wants you. You now have a very small window of time because you are eternal. Your heart now is is going to live forever. You will live forever. But you have this little tag of time. Because your 50, 60, 70 years left here on earth is really short compared to eternity. But you got this little tag of time. Where your hearts are seated with Christ in heavenly places and yourself, your body, is still walking around here. It's hard. It's precarious. And what happens many times is that Christians forget about where their heart... They they start struggling. They start struggling because my body wants to do things. It wants comfort. It wants things to be nice. It wants to hit you when it doesn't like you. It wants to drive really fast. It wants to look at things it shouldn't look at. It wants to not do things that it it should do. And it kind of has a problem. But wait, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've been seated in heavenly places. Now I'm in this incredible situation now between the two. Small window of time, but God is at you exactly where he wants you. Romans 5, verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, trespass, was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Now there's a word that keeps popping out in this little passage, and it's called obedience versus disobedience. Jesus was obedient. Humanity was very disobedient. So if these words start popping out, obedient, disobedient, obedient, disobedient, it tells us something. It infers that there is an authority telling someone else what to do. Because the word obey, the actual um, Definition means to comply with a command or a direction or request or to submit to authority. So now Paul's talking about obedience and disobedience and he's just kind of bandying it about. But I am here to tell you that if you start hearing words about obedience and disobedience, you also have to be thinking in your head, okay, if there's obedience and disobedience, who are we obeying and who are we disobeying? Who, who's, who's the one saying this? Now at my house, it's me. And you best better obey. Right? And if you don't obey, life will not be nice for you. Always good for me. Life is always good for me. But obedience indicates that there's a master or authority. Humanity is never out of authority. Humanity always has some kind of authority over it. You will always have some kind of authority. I always tell my kids growing up is that, you know, honey, I'm your mom and I'm your authority. And I love you. And you're not going to blah, blah, blah. Okay? We got that? I'm your authority. You're the child. You are not going to. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to care for you. And when I spank you, I'm going to love you so much while I'm doing it. 
And you have so much, I have so much grace and love for you. And I will cry. It will hurt me more than you, but I will spank you while I spank you. But when you grow up and you are outside of me, now you're going to have other authorities. You're going to have teachers. You're going to have bosses. You're going to have policemen. And when they spank you, they don't love you. It's going to be a different spank. But I love you. But the point is that we are never out of authority. You might think you've grown up and you're living all by yourself and you're cool, but you're still under authority. You still have to operate under, under somebody because God has you placed under authority. How many of you know who your authorities are on this earth right now? Uh, there are, every one of you has a policeman watching over you. <laughs> There's one that sits on Wildwood Park Drive and waits for me. I swear is waiting for me right by me. We are always under authority. You are never out of authority. We are always, we are meant to always learn what it's like to obey. And if you think you're cool enough and you've fought against authority your whole life and you've removed your authorities and you've gotten out of your house and you've gotten away from everything, I will tell you, you will never get away. And this whole idea of authority and you learning to humbly submit to authority, I don't care if you're a 60-year-old man or a 2-year-old boy, you have to learn how to humbly submit to authority. Now, there's physical authority, but there's also spiritual authority. And in the same manner, God says, uh, in the same manner that there's authority on this earth, and you will always find yourself under an authority. So you need to learn how to humbly submit to authority. Now, this goes contrary to Americans. No, we're rebels. In fact, my high school mascot was Juanita Rebels. I am going to rebel. But in reality, however independent you think you are, you're under a spiritual authority of some sort. Either it's going to be your heavenly father or it's going to be the enemy, the devil, who hates you. Either you're going to get spankings from a loving God or you're going to remove yourself because you're not going to be under any of that. You're going to get spanked by the devil. He don't love you. That was sideline on Romans right there. Good, good, good. So you're going to serve something. You are not autonomous. You are under authority. So let's flip over to Romans 6 now. I'm going to start at verse 1, and I'm just going to plow. So uh, projection, are you ready to go? Romans 6, 1. So what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What he's saying now is he's coming off the fact that you were saved by grace. It's all about grace. It has nothing to do with your outer core, your outer, the way you act, or you can't do anything more. So he says, okay, wait a, wait a, wait a, wait a minute. So if my heart now is all cleansed and righteous and doing so fantastic and seated in heaven, heavenly places, how do, should I just go on, can I, do I have, can I just do whatever I want? Because, you know, I'm saved. Can I just live any way I want now? Yes, I'm going to heaven, free ticket to heaven. I got this 50 year in between. What do I get to do with myself? And he says here, what then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace can increase? In other words, his goodness in our life can be shown that I get to go to heaven no matter how I act? By no means. We, you, me, I, died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Remember, you were in Jesus. If you believe in him, you are in Jesus. And you were in Jesus when he died. He died to this natural world on that cross he died to the sinful nature. His physical body that was tethered to this broken, cursed law of sin earth, he died. You, if you put yourself in Christ, you died too. You died to sin. How then? Can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might have a new life. 
You believe in Jesus Christ, and guess what? You get to be in Jesus when he died to this earthly world. But it doesn't stop there. He rose from the dead, and he now lives his life according to the Spirit of God. And that's you. If we've been united to him like this in his death, and we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Slaves, that kind of sounds like, don't slaves usually have masters? Doesn't that sound like an authority? If you've placed yourself in Christ, you've died to this world. And you are no longer slaves to sin because anyone who has died has now become freed from sin. Now, if you died with Christ, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Therefore, you and me, brother and sister, never fear death. It has no hold on you either. When you die, when your physical body dies, all you're doing is shedding this outer thing that tethers us to this world. And then we will be freed and be able to absolutely, completely take part in the heavenly realms. Christians in Syria, Christians around the world are being beheaded for their faith. Christians throughout the the centuries have been mocked and burned and, and their bodies have been, you know, just killed. I could give you martyr story after martyr story. How could they do that with such peace inside? Because they know for a fact that this, the freedom from this means complete union with him. So we live our life very differently. We're not worried. We're not, ah, I don't want to die. I'm afraid. I want to die. Let me just tell you that. I want to go to heaven. I want to meet my father. I've never met my, my human father. I have no fear of death. I want you to be in that same place. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. But the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he now lives to God. He's telling us here now, now that you are in Christ, this is how it's going to go from here on out. This silly body that's tethered into this world now, we are going to not just do whatever happens and, and be bumped around and all that kind of thing. He's telling you right now how these next 20, 30, 50 years are going to go, what he wants this to look like because you are in absolutely the exact place he wants you to be. He says that the, the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but now the life he lives, he lives to God and same with you. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of their body to him as instruments of righteousness. For Sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but now you are under grace. So do I have to not sin so I can be good enough to get to heaven? No, we already took care of that, right? You are made righteous by believing in Jesus Christ, nothing more. And he took your heart and your heart lives with him in heavenly places, but we're tethered here. So now God and Paul is saying, okay, people, now let's take a look at you sitting here. And he is saying that if you are in Christ, you died to the sin in your members. But now you're going to live in Christ, free from all of that. And you are going to, in chapter 5. Verse 17, for if the trespass of the one man in the trespass death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in this life? How much more will you? No, 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 you don't understand because I, I, you know, I kind of live in this life and it's kind of rotten and I kind of don't feel good and I kind of don't have enough money. 
And I have all these, you know, like addictions coming at me that want to take me out. And I, I fall all the time. And it's, oh. It's hard. Hard. No? Yes. No? Yes? 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 No? Depends on what you're looking at. Depends on how you're looking at it. Are you in God's abundant provision of grace and living in the gift of righteousness? Because if so, you are going to reign in life. Now, the overarching concepts that we have learned in Romans thus far is that you are his object of affection. Absolute object of affection. And he desperately wants relationship with you, and he does it through the blood of Jesus, and he brings you into his heart, into heavenly places. The third overarching concept is that now, remember I told you he got you just right where he wants you? Because now he's got your heart, and it's in heaven, and it's safe. It is safe. It is cleansed, and it is righteous. Your world and your life down here continues And the third overarching concept of Romans is that now he wants to live through you. He wants to live through you. He wants to live your daily life through you. He doesn't want to take you to heaven quite yet because he wants a trophy here on earth. He doesn't want to take you up into heaven and just get you out of here because he wants you, you to walk on this earth for however many more days, weeks, years that you've got left. And inside of your life, he wants you to reign down here through him and he's going to shine out. And all of his culture, all of who he is, all of the way he lives, the way he is, is going to just exude out of you so that you're in a situation and everybody's mad. You're not mad because the culture of God does not lead to anger. If you are in a scary situation and stuff's coming at you and that's how the world is, but you aren't in this world. You are from somewhere else. And so therefore you don't react in fear. You've got a peace inside of you because you are reigning in this life. You've got addictions coming at you. Maybe you've done things pre-cross that are all sorts of things that they'll want to reach through and be, but now you are going to reign in life. Now you might be dealing and facing some financial difficulties where the rest of the world will do all sorts of things. They'll, They'll revert to all sorts of things, but you're not going to because Christ is living through you in that situation. Let's all stand. I want the band to come on up. Third overarching concept for the rest of Romans now is going to be the fact that he wants to live through you. He is not finished with this world. He is not finished with this place. It says in Romans verse chapter 8, The creation awaits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. He is waiting for you to allow him to live through you so strongly that he can be revealing himself and the way he is and the way he loves and the way he reacts through you on a daily basis. He wants to live through your body. He wants your words to sound like his words. He wants your heart to be beating like his heart beats. He wants your actions to be the way his actions are. He wants you to reign in life. He wants to live through you. But the problem is we don't like that. Because this doesn't like that. I want to get mad and punch you. That's how I am wired. So now for these 50 years, 50, 60, 80, I don't know how many you got. You might only have three days. I don't know how many days you have left. You aren't guaranteed tomorrow morning. I'll guarantee you that. You are not guaranteed even driving home today. I'm sorry. I wish I could say you're going to live, you know, but you're not. So I would say right now, is there anyone in this room that has felt the fight on the inside in this life? Have you felt that fight? Have you felt that struggle? Are you willing now to shift and become a slave 
to our Heavenly Father who loves us as opposed to a slave to sin. We're going to learn more next week about how to do this and how to overcome and how to beat it up because that's what the rest of Romans talks a lot about. But today, 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 my call to you is to draw a line in the sand and say, Father God, today, you will reign in this life through me. You will reign in this life. You've taken my heart and you've secured my future, my eternity. And I feel peace with you, but right now, this, these next, whatever moments I have in this life here on this earth, I give every one of them to you. Right now, raise your hand if that's you. I give every, every moment of the rest of my life to you. I give you my hands. Do with them. Let me love with them. I give you my mouth. I will not speak evil with my mouth any longer. I will speak your words. Your words. Just surrender your body. Surrender your members. Surrender your sexuality to the Lord in Jesus' name. Do not let your sexuality be conformed to this earthly evil twisted but can just submit it to the Lord he loves it in Jesus name surrender your thoughts and your mind and your ears and your eyes and your heart and your future and every situation that's coming tomorrow at, at work just give it to him right now you are going to not live you no longer live you no longer live but Christ lives inside of you and he wants to reign in this earth through you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, I don't want to. The members of my body don't want to. I, I have disobedience inside of me. But I know it's the right thing. I surrender in Jesus' name. Can I have the prayer warriors come on up here we're going to worship for a little bit and I know it's time to go but would you let the Holy Spirit work this into your life just a little bit let the Holy Spirit work it into your heart let the Holy Spirit work it into your heart in Jesus name let's sing come on up if you'd like prayer but let the Holy Spirit work